You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards the seat. We're going to be continuing in our series today, going through the book of Acts. It will be in Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 15. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts. And last week, we talked about how God's purpose or his will or his mission for your life will flow out of a lifestyle of worship. And it's not just the singing time, it's, it's what you do 24-7. I was having a conversation with a guy yesterday, and we were talking about worship. He wanted to ask, he was asking about church and some things about that. And he's like, so you guys, you know, with worship, I, I, I kind of get messed up a little bit with the whole idea that worship is just the singing part because I really wrestle with the singing. And I know for a lot of people, the singing part is the hard part because you don't feel confident in your voice. And there's other people who feel really confident in their voice, and maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. But... The whole idea, God doesn't say sing to me if you're good. He says sing and make a joyful noise. And there's something that happens when we join together with each other and we sing together. It's uniting. It binds us together. And it's a behavior that we're going to be engaging in in heaven as well. But worship is also our behavior. It's our lifestyle. It's what we give ourselves to. And so when you're thinking about worship, it is about singing. But that's just a, a beginning part of that. Other parts of it are the way you treat people, the way you do your job, the way you care for your family, the way you, I mean, just pretty much every area of life becomes an opportunity for worship and how you would engage in that area. So as you worship God, as you offer yourself to God, because in offering yourself to him, you're also not offering yourself to other things that are destructive. There's specific instructions given to us that Paul the Apostle writes. He says, don't offer yourself as instruments of wickedness. It's easy to do that, especially when we interact with people that push our buttons. It's very easy to want to respond like somehow they're the one that is the, is the direct source of what we're experiencing. And sometimes that may be exactly what it is. What we're going to be talking about today is when we come up against something or someone and we're not just dealing with them, but there's a spiritual force of darkness behind it. I want to start off by saying... When you have a conflict with somebody, as you go out today, I'm not saying every person you have a conflict with, you get to say, oh, I get to see, I can see the spiritual forces of darkness working in you. That's why you're acting this way. It's easy to kind of point that at other people and say, this is you. But ultimately, anytime we or another person is engaging in the acts of the flesh, and the acts of the flesh, not going to get into all of them, but they can be found in Galatians chapter 5. When we're acting out in our flesh, and that's fits of rage and, and throwing, you know, you know, giving ourselves over to something, kind of like, you know, kind of we're blacking out, that type of a thing. What we're doing is we're giving place to the enemy, the enemy of our souls, to act in our life and through our life. And that's why people who belong to Jesus can be people who get uh, worked through by the enemy. Some of the greatest pain I've ever experienced in my life has come in the context of church and come from interacting with church people who don't see their need for Jesus because they'd known him for so long. You can think, well, how can that happen? Well, who killed Jesus? You can say, well, it was the Romans, but the Romans did because the, the Pharisees and religious leaders have been plotting for years on how can they kill him. These are the people who are supposed to be leading Israel in worship of God, and instead, they're missing God in front of them. Don't offer yourself as an instrument to wickedness, no matter how religious you might think you are, because ultimately, your relationship with God is shown in how you love God and how you love people. Does that make sense? We're doing good. That's a good start. Uh, 
one of the things that has kind of jumped out at me is we look go through the book of Acts. It's really divided into a couple different sections. The first section is about uh, Acts 1 through 12, and it's the story of the early church. It's how uh, the church went from about 1,225 people to thousands of people. It talks about the, the beginnings of how did the church get from Jerusalem to all over uh, Asia, all over what we would call modern-day Turkey, up into uh, in the, the northern parts, Italy, other places like that. How did it get there? The main actor in, the, in these f- first few chapters are, is Peter. And what we see happening starting in chapter 13 is a shift from Peter to Paul. And we get to see the, how the church began to spread to all the non-Jewish people. And uh, for me, I found out a couple years ago, I don't have a lot of Jewishness in me, but I have about 8% of my family line. And so at some point somewhere, there were some Jewish people who were scattered to, to Russia and to uh, Ukraine and to Poland and to Germany. And supposedly, I've got a, a little bit of the Jewishness from up there. Up until the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people, were made ava- salvation was made available to them, only people who would come to know Christ were the people who were Jewish. Now, this is not a, a, a racial question so much as it is. How many of you, if, if it was only up to Jewish people to get the gospel, you would get the gospel? Look at us. I'm 8%. <laughs> that means I get 8%. No, it, 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 uh, it, it means that this message of good news, and it, it was enculturated initially with a specific group of people, but it was always intended for the whole world. Over and over again, in the prophets and in Jesus' own teachings, he says, this message is going to be good news for not just the people who have thought they were the chosen people forever, the Jewish people, but for anyone who would put their trust and hope and faith in him. How many of you are in that group? See, you're in one of two groups, and you weren't in the first group, so you're really, you're in the second group. If you don't know that, I'm telling you, you're in the second group. And so one of the things we see beginning to develop in Acts chapter 13 is the church takes very seriously the mission of go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, teaching people to obey what Jesus has taught you, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus is with you wherever you go. And so we see the church sending out their first missionary teams. Now, this is not the only way you can preach the gospel. This is not the only way you can live as a witness. Most of us today, if we were to think about it, we're not going to go into all the world. We're not going to you know, get on a plane and, and fly to Georgia, not the one in, in America, but Georgia, the one that's very near Russia. We're not going to get on a plane and fly to Papua New Guinea because it's fun to say, but we're not going to go there necessarily. We think, well, I'm not a missionary. I would say au contraire because you have the opportunity to live for Christ exactly where you are. And when you have the opportunity, when someone wants to hear the reason you have a hope in Jesus, hear this. When someone wants to hear about it, you tell them. One of the things we'll hear in Acts chapter 13 is people were asking for Paul to share the message with them. Too often, we, Christian people, share a message that people didn't ask for and don't want to hear. I can remember being on the campus of the University of Nevada, Reno, Wolfpack, and I was walking from one class to another, and the screaming evangelists were on site. And they stood with megaphones. At the time, it was at the old JTSU, which is now Davidson Academy, but they were right outside the JTSU, Jot Travis Student Union, and standing on top of like large concrete blocks, and they're screaming 
let me share you the good news of Jesus with you. And people, you know, how they were doing it is they were condemning, you know, here, if you're this, you're going to hell. If you have this sin, you're going to hell. If you have this sin, you're going to hell. And at some point, no one would, had asked them, hey, can I hear more of this? People were, were starting to shout back at them and, and refuting what, some of what they were saying. And I'm thinking, what about this is good news? And later I was asking, did anybody ask them for their opinion or for their input or anything? Does anybody know who these guys are? It's like, no, they just came and started shouting. Too often, we can attribute persecution to the fact that we violated people by crossing into their space and shouting them down without even getting to know who they are. In a world that used to be normal to have people go door to door, we don't live there anymore. You used to be able to have perfect strangers go door to door and they would sell people stuff and that was okay. People would let them into their home. I was a 10-year-old paper boy and I went door to door collecting money for the papers I dropped off on their doorsteps. That is not a world we live in anymore. We don't want anybody coming into our homes. Or that maybe, is that just me? No, is it, anybody besides me, you're like, you're really kind of cautious, okay? It's important to be cautious, okay? Even more, if you bump into somebody, you run, you know, you come across, maybe not bump in, you come across someone, and immediately, without even getting to know you, if they start uh, trying to sell you something, you know, back in the day, it would be, oh, you're with Amway, aren't you? You know, you're, you're, you're selling a multi-level marketing, pro- and it's more of a, you know, at the spot where we live now, I believe it's important for us to build relationship with people and live lives that reflect Christ. So when people ask, when you go through stuff, how come you have hope? That's the, that's the point of witnessing. That's where we get to share what we have because it's something that's been asked for, it's been seen, and it's also uh, something people may even want to hear. It's, uh, I do believe there is a space for sharing the gospel, like the public declaration of the gospel. But I also, I also believe if you look at the scriptures and what Paul was doing, they went to a place in a pattern, and they would go into a city, and according to the patterns that, that the Jewish synagogues would practice, they would allow a visiting rabbi to stand up and speak. They'd say, we'd love to hear what you have to say. This is our message for next week, actually. they say, we want to hear what you have to say. And Paul would get up and speak, and he would share a message, and people would ask questions, and sometimes they'd throw stuff at him, and they'd throw him out. Other people say, we want to hear more about this. And there came a point where he would go to a place where people wanted to hear him, and if he was kicked out, he'd go somewhere else where somebody else wanted to hear it. God is preparing people for you to interact with on a relational basis so that you can share your faith, not because you have every answer, but because you have a hope that's in Jesus that will help you discover answers as you're going. Does that make sense? Okay. So as you're hearing this, don't disqualify yourself from being one of those people who gets to share the message of the gospel, but also know 99% of that is going to come through the relational contacts that you have in your life, in your workplace, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, all those the places that you go. There are times you will bump into strangers. I call those like the divine appointments that are just out of nowhere. How did I run into that lady in Starbucks and she was crying and why did Louie want to go and ask her what was wrong because you don't usually do that and I went over and did it anyway and she said what was happening and I had this nudge can I ask to pray for her and I've got my heart's beating out of my chest just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm not a human being and I'm freaking out it's like yeah can I pray for you and she says will you pray for me and I yes I pray and she says I feel peace now thank you so much and another guy comes up and says you must be a holy man and it's like (laughs) what made you think that he says I can just see you're glowing and it's like 
did I put my sunscreen on funny today? Because I've got this sunscreen that has kind of got zinc in it. It makes my face white. But I, it, it's not like, I say that because it's a normal part of life. And the vast majority of times I get to share the gospel, it's going to be with people who are asking me. And it's never in a, let me hold you down so that you, I, this is, this is going to be good for you. You know? So I hope that's, that was not in the notes. So you're welcome. Somebody needed to hear it. Maybe we needed to hear that. You're off the hook for feeling like a guilt, but you are, you are on the hook for living for Jesus and being able to give a reason for the hope that you have because that's what all of us have been, been entrusted with. And it may take a long time. I can remember playing on a softball team with a bunch of guys who, you know, three quarters didn't know who Jesus was. It took 10 years until people started asking questions. 10 years! It was a, not a very effective evangelism strategy if you're going for the big boom. But I can tell you, those men on that team, I still count as friends today. And they know, they'd seen me at my worst. They'd seen me when I tore my ACL and I'm laying on the, I had come around second base and I step, stopped and an already weakened ACL had popped and I'm laying on the ground and somehow I ended back up on second base. I'd take that to somewhere there's training. A coach would be so happy that even when I was blacked out, I made it back to the base. And I don't know what I said, but I know when I got back to the dugout, one of the guys said, I didn't know you knew those words. <laughs> and it didn't like oh, disqualify you. I don't want to ask you any spiritual questions. It was more of a, oh, you're one of us. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven. And we get to share Jesus with people, a Jesus who's real, a Jesus who we know, and who he wants to know them. And the reason he wants to know them is because he's introducing through you to your friends. And I can tell you something, your friends are going to want to hear more from you than they're going to want to hear from me. The church itself does a very poor job of discipling people. You know why? Because it's a building this place does not disciple anybody, but the people in it. That's where discipleship happens, where we get to share what we've been taught and teach people what we've been taught. And who better than the people who are already in your life? Well, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Actually, it's, it's the way things are supposed to go. You get to show people what you know, and as you're doing that, you're going to grow too. So there we are. Uh, back to my notes. Okay. Eddie, would you put up the map? Now, I'm not going to trace all the different spots on the map, but I would like you to see, in the back of most Bibles, there will be several maps, and they will be, sometimes all of them will be on the same one where it'll say Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys. I would encourage you as you're reading through and you're hearing about different places that Paul is going, take the time to go in the back and to see where he's going. Because I can tell you, you know what, I drove to Burbank the other day, and it happens, it takes 10 seconds for me to tell you that. How long would it take me to drive to Burbank, California? It's going to take a, at least eight hours if I'm driving the speed limit. If I'm driving with LA traffic, it's probably going to take six and a half hours. But I can, you can miss the entire trip if you, oh, I just went to Burbank. Yeah, a couple years ago, Joanne and I went to Kiev, Ukraine. Yeah, you know, that was a long, long long trip. So don't, don't miss that when we're hearing, okay, they start in Antioch, and then they went to Salamis, and then they went to Pephos, and then they went to Antioch and Pamphylia. Okay, they're traveling by foot, or maybe they're traveling by boat. These take a long time. 
So just because the, it, it looks instant in, as you're reading it, think about how long it would take. There's also maps of, of the Holy Land in Jesus' time. And you can see in different places where, and it says, and Jesus and the disciples got in the boat and they went to the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. That can be anywhere from six to ten miles across. How long does it take to go there? Well, if you're going six miles an hour, which they probably weren't because they were rowing, if they were going against the, the current, it's going to take longer than that. So remember, this is not instant. And there's something that gives us, I guess it brings us more into the humanity of the gospel story, that there's a lot of boring stuff that happens in life. And you're not living wrong because you've got a lot of boring stuff. You don't have a whole lot of axe highlights. Because Paul has a lot of axe highlights, and he has a lot of sitting in a boat highlights. He has a lot of getting beat up for his faith highlights. He has a couple times where the ship went down highlights. We can miss the, norm, the normalcy and think that somehow we're missing something because we're not experiencing, and then three people got saved here, and four people were raised from the dead, and then this happened, and then Jesus appeared, and the angels sang. Like, there's so much that's just normal, and if you will be faithful and live for Jesus every single day, and out of a, a lifestyle of worship, you will see God's purpose and his will and his mission emerge into your life. You get to start to see him working in and through your life. But there's going to be a whole lot of boring too. And that's where our character is built. When we're going through and persevering. When no one can see. That's where it's built up. Also not in the notes. Okay. I only tell you it's not in the notes because I'm not... If I, I feel very strongly that those were supposed to be included today. And I want you to hear that. Because... In order for us to function as a church, a body, a community of people united together under a mission of hope and life and peace, we all have to be participating in that mission. We all have to take responsibility for caring for other people. And you're going to care a lot more for people that you know. Every once in a while, if I'm on the social medias, I will come across a person who says, hey, will you please consider contributing to this GoFundMe for so-and-so a person? I often will read those. I have been on the other end of that where having a family member who is going through difficulty and wanting to participate in that. I look at it and I can look at the story and what happened to the individual and it moves my heart. It's like, oh, it's too bad. For the family that's connected to it, their world has come to an abrupt stop. And they're desperate. And they're in pain. And it's real. That's why it's more important for us to be reaching the people in our own lives is because we have a personal stake in the matter. Other people might be moved by the story. The people that you know, you're helping carry their story. It's not just a name or a picture. It's a life and a person. And the value that God places on them, he puts that weight on our hearts. Look at your maps. Think about the reality of it. We've been reading through Acts, and there's been a whole lot of Saul, talking about Saul. And then in Acts chapter 13, there's a shift from, some, from Saul to Paul. And I've heard people say, well, it's because he had a bad reputation as Saul, and so he decided to turn over a leaf, new leaf and become Paul. And I don't know that that was a part of it. I actually think it has more to do with the fact that there was a change in the mission, that up until this point, the gospel had been largely targeted at Jewish people. And in this particular spot, God had told Saul... Back in the day, you are going to suffer greatly for my name, but you're also my chosen uh, person to bring the message of the gospel to the non-Jewish people, to the Greeks. And 
if the name, if you think about the name Saul, it is a Jewish name. And in Hebrew, the name Saul means desired. There is a translation, if you want to bring a name into Greek, for example, uh, you may, like my name in, in Spanish is Luis. My name in German is Ludwig. My name in uh, French is Louis. Uh, my name in English is Louis. But, you know, each of those names, if you look them up in, in the in the language of origin, they have a similar meaning. They will often mean something along the lines of famous in battle. And no, I'm not a warrior. I don't do jujitsu anymore. But it's like there's, there's an aspect of where the name means something. And it's interesting because you've got Saul, and when he starts going by Saul, Paul, he goes from the name Saul, meaning desired, the translation into the Greek where it becomes Paul, it means small or little. And it's interesting because he, it, if you think about the mindset of him being a great scholar among the Jews and being going to the highest of, of education that you could get from the most prestigious of people in a desired spot to where he's now Paul, who is seen as something that is little. I thought that was interesting. Maybe you will too. So Acts 13 in the scriptures, 13, 4 through, let's go through 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God to the synagogues of the Jews. And they'd gone, and they had John to assist them, and when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. I'm going to stop right there. And so it's interesting. One of the things that we have been talking about and I got into in my preamble to the message is a principle that uh, one of my mentors taught me. When it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to uh, how do you know who you're supposed to talk to, I was taught feed the hungry bird. When a mama bird flies into her nest with whatever she's gathered, whether they be grubs, whether they be worms, which of their babies, which of the baby birds gets the worm? The one who's got the biggest mouth that is able to put itself in front of the mama. The bird who's kind of sitting off in the corner is like, I really was hoping for something different, Pizza Hut or something different than what you're bringing me, Mom. The hungry bird gets the worm. And if we think about people, the one who is desiring to hear, the one who is asking the questions, it can make our life so much easier. Rather than thinking, who could I, you know, who could I go talk to about this? It's not that you can't in engage in a conversation, but often when you begin to engage in a conversation, if people aren't responding, quit drilling on them. You can pray that God would have them be receptive, they would want to talk about it, but we could waste our time trying to pursue people that aren't ready to hear or that just don't want to. Well, they, shouldn't everybody hear the gospel? Yeah, they should. But we also have to respect people's free will. And I can tell you, I, I have 
more than once heard of people who, I, used, I was a youth pastor in Carson City for almost 11 years. There were students that I worked with that I knew were going to go to hell. I knew they were. They, they said they wanted to. There's a matter of fact, I'm going to tell the Katie's husband, Aaron, when he was 16 years old, told me, my mom makes me come here. I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I don't believe in it. I don't want to do any of this. I just have to be here. So just, can we just be cool? You leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. And I said, deal. Years later, he's in the church loving Jesus, loving his wife, loving his family. What changed? God will do the work on people. You don't have to break them down. Aren't you glad your husband responded well? Yes, me too. Me too. But just as as an example, we can think if I don't do this now, God has all the time in the world. And he may take a while to deal with people. Anybody in your life, you have someone in your life who you love, would, would just love that they would turn to Jesus now. Okay. And it's been a long time. You can trust. God is at work. You just pray. He does far better work at, at convicting than you will do. And when he brings conviction, it brings health and healing and wholeness and life. Also not in the notes. So feed the hungry bird. When Paul and Barnabas, how do they know where to go? They start off by going to the synagogues. They go to the synagogue. They hang out there. They say, hey, here's Paul. He's a visiting rabbi. He studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a big deal in the Jewish religious world. Paul, you got anything you want to say? Paul says, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And he shares the gospel. He says, this Jesus who we crucified was raised from the dead. And this is actually the promised Messiah, the, the Christ, the anointed one. And now we get to put our faith in him. And not only that, anybody who puts their faith in him can be saved too. And then some people would get upset because the Jews would say, only the Jews can be saved. And the Gentiles are like, you're saying we can be saved too? This is awesome. And the Jewish people in synagogue, some of them said, we don't want you to talk here anymore. And the Gentiles said, we want you to talk to us. And they'd invite all their friends. And so Paul would leave the synagogue and he'd go to another place and he'd talk to them. He fed the hungry bird. He looked for people who wanted to hear. And that's what they were doing. When you're looking in the scriptures, you think, how did they decide where to go? There's places in Acts where it says, Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas wanted to go into a place, but the spirit of the Lord forbid them, prohibited them. God would not let them go share the gospel in certain places. You think, oh, they've got opposition, it's the enemy. What if the opposition you face at times is God saying, no, no, and it, it, the picture that works for me, you know, part of it is having grandchildren, uh, especially my feral ones. Uh, Brody is four, and you can't have him around fire. You can't have him around sharp things. You just got to kind of watch him. And there's times where he's on his way to do something, and you just kind of kind of put your hand on his head. And he may still be pushing. And this is not a joke. This isn't just for funny. This is, please protect Brody and me right now. But it's putting your hand on him, and he's, tr- he's still going, and he's got his hand there. God does that to us sometimes. We think, why am I experiencing this opposition? Paul, when he was met by the, the Spirit of Jesus on the road to Damascus, the, Jesus says to him, Saul, it is, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Jesus was trying to direct him where he's supposed to go, and he was fighting every single bit of the way. Sometimes our opponent is not the enemy. Sometimes our opponent, the what's Resisting is, is Jesus. It says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It could be that there's times we're working in pride, and we don't even know that we're working in pride. And we experience resistance, and it's not the devil. Does that make sense? And so be very 
patient in trying to label it and be very deliberate in seeking out Jesus. What is it, what is it you have for me to do? Where do you have me to go? And when you're bumping into something, am I bumping into something out of my flesh? Am I bumping into something because it's true opposition? Is God redirecting me? Has he got his hand on my forehead? I don't want him to hit anything. I don't want him to hurt anything. Last time he had scissors, we know what happened. God does that with us, and he does it out of love because he corrects those that he loves. In this particular spot, they eventually, Paul and Barnabas, eventually end up in like a capital of this little place. He's the proconsul. He's like the senatorial representative for the, for the Roman government. And Sergius Paulus, this intelligent man, he has heard of Paul, he sees what's going on, and he invites him to come to speak to him. He says, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, Sergius Paulus has an advisor. The guy's name, he calls himself Bar-Jesus. Last week we, we said what that means. In Hebrew, it means son of Jesus. He was not Jesus' son, but he was trying to associate himself with Jesus to get some acclaim. He was someone who would have been in the same class of people called, called the Magi, the, the sorcerers, the magicians who visited Jesus at his birthplace. Uh, another thing he went by, another name he went by was Elemis, which means the wise one. And so I, I'm guessing he had a pretty healthy opinion of himself as well. But as, I mean, one of, he's got a great deal of sway in the proconsul's life. He's speaking and directing, not just what the proconsul does, because whatever the proconsul decides affects everybody on the island. And if Paul, or, or if, the, if Elemis can cause the proconsul to make decisions that are reflecting Elemis, it's going to have an effect on him too. So as Paul is talking, I get this picture of Elemis leaning in and trying to pro- keep the, the proconsul from Sergius from being able to hear and to respond. And there comes a point, can you just imagine, like pretend I'm sitting here and you know, Fred and Virginia are sitting in the back and if Fred keeps leaning over to Virginia and whispering in her ear, trying to tell, don't listen to what this, this guy has to say. Knock this off. It actually reminds me, there was probably 15 years ago, there was a guy that came to church here and he had a self-appointed uh, mission. I mean, this is one of the reasons you come to church. He had a self-appointed mission to discredit pastors in Reno. That was his stated mission. And so as I'm talking, he's running around, and he'd, he'd look for younger people, and he would try, don't listen to what the pastor says. Here's what we need to do. And you think, this sounds like a joke, but one of my kids was one of the people he talked to, and they told me what he was doing. And we called the guy out and told him to get out of here. You're not allowed to be here. And he says, it's a free church. I can come whenever I want. He says, you cannot come in here and sow dissension. Get out of here. I didn't say, you son of the devil, why are you blinding people? But it's the same thing. Exactly the same thing. We don't have to mess with Fred and Virginia. Don't tell me a real story, what's going on. This Fred's not going to lean over and whisper in Virginia's ear about that. But he's saying this stuff. And Paul, at some point, I don't know at what point he snaps, at what point he realizes what's going on, he speaks to it. And he addresses it. And he has what we would call a power encounter. He's recognizing that this guy is motivated by something that is more than just the guy. He's got his flesh. He's got his humanity. But he's also motivated by a a great power somehow that is very opposed to the message of the gospel. And this is where, as I was talking earlier, sometimes the forces that we are coming in contact with and interacting with other people, we're coming in contact with things that are the are the real mess behind people's bad actions. The world is a mess because of sin, but the world is also a mess because it is ruled by the prince of this world. 
And we don't do battle against, against people, against flesh and blood. There's scripture, in a, you can jump ahead to this too, added, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, Be strong on the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's significant, because if we begin to think that we are battling against people, we will treat people as though they are the enemy, and we'll treat them as though they have contempt. Our world today is very divided, and there are people groups who hate each other. You think, well, that's been going on forever. You know, I'm only 54, but I think the world seems much more divided than it was when I was 24. And I used to be able to see, especially you get into areas where there was politics involved, you could have people have an intelligent discourse and have disagreement and still be okay with each other. Now both of the major parties in the United States treat each other as though they are the devil incarnate themselves. And there's no way you could even possibly have an intelligent conversation with some one of those people. Anytime we start to create the people as the enemy, we're missing it. And Paul tells us, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and rulers of this dark world. Those principalities and rulers of this dark world manipulate events and manipulate people in order to continue to bring about uh, stealing and killing and destroying the, message, the, the plan of the devil. And the whole reason Jesus sent, was sent to the earth is to destroy the works of the devil and to do good. And so if we're on his message, we're going to come across situations where we're bumping into people, but we're really bumping into spiritual things. The whole point of that is not that we need to focus 100% on, you know, trying to chase the devil around because that's not our mission. But when we come in contact with this to recognize spiritual warfare, we hear about that, it involves making choices to live a life that is humble and submitted to God, to submit ourselves as people who are living by truth, living by righteousness, living in faith, living by the word of God, living with the knowledge of the salvation that comes from God, living with the, with the gospel of peace uh, and with the sword of the spirit. Each of these things are talked about at the end of Ephesians chapter six, the, the putting on the full armor of God. This is a lifestyle of when we are going to be declaring the message of the gospel and listening, listening to the Holy Spirit and then saying what he wants us to say and living how he wants us to live, we're going to be bumping into the, the people who are impacted by the spiritual world. We're going to be bumping into that and we've got to have a way to be able to, to walk straightforwardly forward following after Jesus and not focusing on that other stuff but also recognizing that we're, it's not just, you know, James, the guy across the street that's giving us trouble. I had a very difficult time in seventh and eighth grade. They had one teacher, the same both in seventh grade and eighth grade. And I found out afterwards that one of her relatives went to our church back in the day, it was called Life Center. And she said, I heard you had my aunt in, in school. And how was it? I said, it was hard. I always felt like she was picking on me. I always felt like I got singled out and just made my life so hard. And I was the firstborn. I was the good kid. I was the one who wanted to succeed. I wasn't Ben, my brother. You know, the one, who, the last boy who just wants to mess around. And, you know, he made it through college watching Stargate on his laptop the entire time. I was the one who's, I got my pen, I got my paper, I'm, I'm dialed in. And she said, the, this woman says, I'm not surprised my aunt picked on you. She's very involved in the occult. She's a witch. And she has historic conflicts with people that are Christians. And so she may not have been able to say, you know, she's picking on you because you're a Christian, but the spirit of this world has nothing to do with the spirit of God. 
And there's times you just bump, you rub people wrong or they rub you wrong. And it, you may not be able to put a finger on it. Often it's a spiritual conflict that's way underneath the surface. And the spirit of God in you and the spirit of what's in them is just like this. That makes sense? That doesn't mean we get to say, the reason I have conflict with you is because you're of the devil. No, because our battle is not against people. We still pray that God would bring healing, wholeness, and restoration. That's why Jesus went into great detail saying, we pray for those who spitefully use us. We bless our enemies. We pray for those who, who persecute us. Because often, those people are the ones that God does a miraculous work and brings them to him. That they are rescued. There's a, a scripture. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, Ed. Into uh, Isaiah chapter 45. It's funny because a lot of the times when we're, we think about what, is, what do riches look like? And what does wealth look like? We often will go towards money or towards possessions. But one of the things that happens when we understand that we're doing spiritual warfare with the way that we live, with submitting ourselves to God, with looking to put into practice the thing God teaches us, when we're looking to share the message of the gospel with those that want to hear it, when we're declaring this with our lifestyle, one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to bring freedom to the people who are captive. And we don't have to be the one that do it. God will do it, but he will do it through people who are being obedient to him. And there's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 2 and 3, where it talks about the power of God at work in us and through us and around us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will combat spiritual evil, will break through impossible situations, and will set captives free. But it, it refers to the captives as the treasures of darkness. Let's read this. I will go before you, God says, and level the exalted places. I will break through, break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness and the hordes of secret places that you may know that it, it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. When it's talking about the treasures of darkness and the hordes of secret places, there is nothing more valuable than human beings, people. And the people who do not yet know Jesus, who are bound in sin, who are bound in, in the addictions, bound in the habits, bound in, in years worth of, of belief systems that have, have kept them imprisoned, God wants to put people in their lives who are going to uh, allow the power of God to work in, through, and around them, that those gates that have bound them and those, those bars that they've been behind would be cut down and broken supernaturally, far beyond anything we could ever do ourselves, so that those people the riches of darkness, the things that the enemy wants to, the people, the enemy wants to keep bound so that he can see them suffer because they've been made in the image of, in the image of God just like you and I have. That they be made whole and be made free. Luke chapter four, Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he's called me to preach good news to who? To the captives, to set free those people and that's a direct uh, correlation with that Isaiah passage. What Paul and Barnabas are doing, what we get to do in our, our mission today is bring the message of the gospel into the world to shine a light for Jesus and to be prepared to share the message and the reason why we have hope so that God will rescue. We're not the rescuers. We're simply the ones who introduce people to Jesus. Does that make sense? God does the hard work. He chooses to flaunt his power through us. That which was intended to be what the enemy struck at in the Garden of Eden, that which was intended with, with the enemy wanting to, to wipe out humanity, to wipe out the God's people, to wipe out Israel, to wipe out Jesus, that which was intended 
God did a U-turn around it. And he chooses to use us, flawed, broken individuals, to be people who are a part of the solution. And he, he does that because he gets to then say, as we, you know, put our foot on the enemy, he gets to see that we are the ones that are doing it in his name. Romans chapter 16, verse 19 says, Be excellent at what is good and innocent of what is evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. All that to say, you may not see yourself as a devil stomper, and I encourage you, don't just go put on your Doc Martens and go looking where you can go stomping on things. But if you will live a life dedicated to Jesus, you will find yourself fulfilling God's mission for you that involves stepping on the enemy and seeing people who have been captives brought to freedom by the power of Jesus. That is the message for 2024 and going forward for us. We want to see the captives set free. We want to see people healed, restored, made new. God's going to use us to see that happen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you that you can take what's been said and apply it to our hearts, and I ask that you do that right now. I pray that you would work in, through, and around us. Lord, I thank you for the message of hope that you give. Thank you for the message of life that you give. I pray that you would give us discernment, give us wisdom. Lord, give us tenacity and perseverance. May we be people who reflect you, who honor you, May we submit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, and be open and willing for you to teach us and to lead us. May we be willing to live boring lives at times of faithfulness and consistency where our character is tried and our character is forged so that when it's time, we can come and be ready to share the message of hope that we have in you. Thank you that your desire is to see the captives set free. I thank you that you do the hard work. May we be caring about it as much as you do in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you doing with this today? Think about it. What stands out to you from the message, from the scriptures, from the uh, bonus parts? Think about what are the biggest obstacles for you about sharing the gospel good news? Maybe what stands out to you from Paul's conflict with Elemus bar Jesus. Maybe think about the fact that spiritual warfare is not a shout at the devil thing. It's more of a worship God thing. It's be holy and set apart. Embrace the lifestyle of truth and righteousness and faith and salvation and peace. Look to love God. Look to love people. Chris and I are going to be right back here for prayer if anybody's interested after we're done. But as we prepare to go, I want to bless you. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And number 622 says, may Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face towards you and give you peace. May hope and peace fill your steps each day. Be well. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.